for our passage of Scripture, I would ask you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And we will begin with verse 10 in Ephesians 6. Hear then the word of the Lord. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. All circumstances take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And may God then add His blessing to the reading of His holy and precious Word of God. Probably we'll start with a simple proposition. That proposition and principle is this, is that God through His Son in the Gospel is the only true and effective answer to evil in this world in the final analysis. I know that sounds simple. But we live in such a days of spiritual turmoil. And I think that maybe even uh, uh, many unbelievers may have a sense of the turmoil spiritually that this world is engaging in. And uh, many are going in different directions as to where to pursue that they might find peace. I find that usually nine times out of ten, people who are unbelievers and who don't know the Lord find some aversion to the spiritual reality of the world. That, that is, they find something in which they can invest themselves in and spend time with that tends to soothe their soul a little bit. Of course, never is satisfaction, isn't it, ultimately? There's never that satisfaction uh, that only the Lord Himself can give. And so the proposition is that uh, the answer to evil in this world and all that we're experiencing and all that we're facing, the answer is to be found in Jesus Christ our Lord and His redemption. 
For he is the one that has overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble. Jesus said, but what? But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I hope that you find your consolation in Christ. And living in the midst of an evil world. And even struggling maybe spiritually in your own life in many ways that you find your consolation in Christ. For if, if we, by His grace, are there, then we are where we need to be in terms of trusting Him as our Lord and Savior. I want to start with an illustration as to why this has become so real to me. Uh, and it may seem unusual, but it has to do with... I'm going to start with the illustration, and then I'm going to move to the content of Ephesians. Because I think that that's what's happening in our day and time. I think that there's... Much spiritual reality that is uh, that just is gushing forth, uh, whereas some of it may used to be somewhat veiled and hidden, uh, not anymore. It's it's all out there now. It seems to be visible and apparent, and no apologies for it. And where I came to the reality of this, um, there growing up with our children, we enjoyed Disney movies, and. Um, one of our favorites was 101 Dalmatians. We enjoyed that. It was, it was, you know, innocent enough. It was, it was a, a, a good, a good little Disney movie, um, and uh, yet there was an evil character in there. You remember the name of the character, that Cru, Cruella Deville. And um, by the way, Disney has just come out with a remake of of that movie. And it is called Cruella DeVille. And you know how the name is interpreted? The name means cruel devil eloquently. Cruel devil eloquently. Um, I tell you what, uh, it, is, it is no children's story. But I'll tell you what it, what it is. Um, and, and it's not entertainment. I'll tell you what it is. It's a statement of the desire for victory of the devil in the world. Because that's what... Her name was Elena. And she comes to the fountain where she last was with her mother and she says, Elena is dead. I tried to do good. I can't do good. So I'm just going to sell out my soul to being Cruella. Oh, that's a good variation on the name. Elena is dead. Cruella is my new name. So she meets up with, uh, and it is a cruel world that it presents that she's in. Her mother doesn't want her at birth. Uh Oh, this sounds interesting. Her mother doesn't want her at birth. So she has her manservant to, uh, when the baby is born, go and kill the baby. Take the baby and kill it. And don't tell me where you put it. Well, uh, the manservant can't kill the baby and gives it to one of the servants. And anyway, it goes on that here uh, Elena grows up kind of on the streets. And uh, as she grows up on the streets, it shows you how she became evil. And one of the fellows found, she said, my name is, yes, Cruella now, Cruella. Because as the world has been cruel to me, so what? I am going to be cruel to the world. I'm going to take on that identity. I am going to be cruel eloquently. Cruella. 
And all of a sudden, the fellow drives up and he says, Guess what? I found you a car, Cruella, and it's called the devil. And the other fellow says, Oh, no, it's not the devil. It's a devil. <laughs> and, uh, and she says, Oh, Cruella Deville. That sounds like a good name for me. And uh, it shows uh, the overcoming of Satan and his work in the life of this young woman, and she sells herself to Satan. And the way it ends, uh, the mother who was so cruel to her is sent off to prison for her crimes, and she inherits all the mansion. And the way it ends, uh, she concludes that she's going to live for the devil from now on, no matter what. No matter what, I'm going to live for the devil. And the servant says, well, Cruella, do you have any good ideas of adventure for us in the future? And she looks and turns with an evil eye. And she says, I think I've got some good plans for the future. Listen, my friends, um, no, no children's story. Not at all. And not by the stretch of any imagination is it to be toyed with. But isn't it amazing that under the guise of entertainment, we will take a children's story. We will turn it into a message of depravity and evil. We will present it to the world as entertainment. Would the devil use entertainment as a platform for his message? Absolutely. And is with great effect because there are many who are influenced who are young by such Disney movie. Cruella DeVille sells herself to the devil and vows to live for him as long as she lives. That message becomes unequivocally spiritually clear, doesn't it? Well, you live uh, not in a fantasy world of Cruella DeVille, but what you do live in is you live in a world that is very cruel at best. You live in a world that has been influenced by the evil one in very powerful ways. When I begin to think about this, however, I want to, I want to make a clarification about the work of Satan. And you have to be careful when you talk about Satan. Oftentimes Satan is presented as, as uh, an angel that is co-equal with God. As God is good, oftentimes he's presented as a co-equal with God in evil. And so the two have same power, same influence, and same background. And that's not true. That even in and of itself is a lie. If you read Job chapter 1, uh, where, does, uh, where does Satan have to come and present himself? He comes and has to present himself to God. He cannot, he is so limited that he cannot do anything without the permission of God. He is answerable to God. For he is a, remember this, our God is eternal, infant, 
all infinite, all powerful, all knowing. Satan is not. He is a, although a spiritual being, he is a created being. He's a created angel by God that is temporary. He is, he is not all powerful. He is not all powerful. He can only do what God gives him permission to do. He, he's on the leash, if I can put it that way. He's on God's leash. And he can only go as far as God lets that leash out. You remember Job? What, is, what, is, what does Satan do when he comes to present himself? Where have you come from? You hear the words of Scripture? I've come from what? Roaming, roaming about the earth. Does that sound familiar? Those who fell from heaven as angels and rebelled against God ended up where? On the earth. Satan and his host were captured and they were thrown to the earth. We have that in Ezekiel and we can see it in Scripture and it's quite evident there. Um, Satan is not only a created being that is answerable to God, but um, he, is a, he is also a being that doesn't know any, anything per se. That is, he doesn't know the future. Did you know that? That as an, an angel fallen, he doesn't know the future? And so when you come to Scripture and so much of our Lord speaks to you about the future, he has no comprehension of that. And so, my dear friends, he is one that is very limited. Now, having said all that, he's not all-powerful, he's not all-knowing, and he's not all-present. Did you know that? As an angel of God, he can only be at one place at one time. One place at one time. Pastor, but that makes him so limited. Well, no, think about all the other hosts of demons and other angels that fell with him. Uh and they do His work. But it's quite interesting to, to note that distinction when you begin to talk about the evil one. And you begin to talk about His work. He's very limited. But now having said that, He's very powerful too in many, many ways, isn't He? He carries a great deal of influence. He knows how to pull the strings. Paul says we are not ignorant of His what? We are not ignorant of His schemes. He's pretty sly. As a matter of fact, he's a great purveyor of the Word and knows how to twist it. Is that true? With regard to Eve in that battle, has God really said? And does he twist the Word? You see, one of the primary works of the devil is not the horns and the red tail and everything. He more often than not counterfeits that which is spiritual. He will make a person believe that they almost have the real thing. But it just falls short in power and in spiritual reality. Many churches are that way, by the way. Counterfeit. And does the world sometimes see the counterfeit? Yes, the world sometimes sees the counterfeit. And if you hold up a counterfeit bill against each other, what is it? Are they hard to tell each other apart? May God give His church the gift of discernment. Amen? May God give His church a sense of discernment to know the difference between good and evil. 
May God help us to that end in these days, for we desperately need it. And the Apostle Paul speaks to the Ephesian Christians about this spiritual reality. And listen to what he says. He says, finally, after everything's been said, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the worldly forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to resist in the evil day and have everything to stand firm. You know, I can't think of a better passage of Scripture to speak to spiritually people today in terms of the church. Would you? To be warned about the nature of the things that you're dealing with. Uh, they're just not ordinary organizational things, but you're dealing with matters of Christ's church, and you're dealing with matters of a spiritually lost and depraved world. Has the depravity seemed to have grown more to, in your mind in these days? I, I don't know, but, but it just... It's not, depravity has always been depravity. Sin has always been sin. But has it seemed to be more in your face and more apparent in these days? And it just seems to, and no apology. No sense sense of shame. There's something about the loss of conscience today morally that that really bothers me. And and I, I pray that you would take note of it and ask God to, sensitize your heart spiritually by His Word and by His Spirit that you might be led in Christ to trust Him every day that you live. Because the battle uh, is not just at church. The battle is everywhere you walk, isn't it? Every dimension of your life, I am convinced, has been influenced more or less by the devil in many ways. And you have to be very careful there used to be a time maybe where we had some sense of spiritual consensus and we felt like maybe we could kind of go along with the world a little bit. But, you know, I'm coming absolutely to the conclusion that that's, that's impossible. Uh, we as Christians, the chasm has grown to such an extent between the spiritualities of the Lord and of this world. Um, I think that we are compelled. We, we are living on one side of the fence or the other. There almost does not seem anymore to be any middle ground, right? Would you say? No middle ground. Everything just seems to be uh, separating. (laughs) And those who have loved the world more than the Lord, even in the church, are being pulled away from the things of the Lord into the world. Um, And we even see it in children's movies. We can't even watch a children's movie anymore without getting the message loud and strong from the devil. This world is mine. and I'm going to wreak havoc on it. and I want you to sell out to it. And I tell you, I think that there are many who already have sold out to it. A great many. And I encourage you to be strong in the Lord. And I love that. The word Yahweh... Uh, Finally, Paul says, he, he's talked about the sufficiency and, and the, uh, uh, the power and, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel and his atoning work. And he comes in, he begins to apply it. And when he comes down to the end of the book, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord about the spiritual war that you're in as a Christian. The Lord makes us, when we come to Christ, he makes us 
aware of the spiritual reality. For many of us, it was a, a, it's a sense remaining in our life of what our former way of life was. He reminds us of the hold that the devil had on us. And then he shows us his grace of how he has had mercy upon us and brought us along. And so the Apostle Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord. And you know that word Lord um, could be um, a small L, but it says Lord. And that's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Um, I am that I am. (laughs) And Paul says, be strong in Yahweh. Be strong in the Lord and who He is. And you remember how Moses responded to that, didn't he? Um, Oh, Lord, you want me to go down to Egypt. (laughs) And, and you want me, you, you want me to bring your children out of Egypt. Well, uh, Lord, look at me. I, I've never been a good speaker. <laughs> and the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. Moses, who made your tongue, Aaron will be your mouthpiece. He will speak. I will speak to him and Aaron will speak to you and you speak to the people. And I think that in our spiritual warfare, we forget Yahweh. Finally, be strong in the Lord. Who is it that uh, is at battle? One of the prophets says, Lord, they've, they've abandoned us, you know, and there's no one left in the world. And he says to the prophet, the battle is what? The battle is not yours. But what does he say? Mine. The battle is not yours, but mine. And that's what I find in this spiritual admonition of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6. To be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God. And I thought about the full armor of God. What in the world are we talking about the full armor of God? And how am I going to put on the full armor of God? And you see the parts of it. And he says, standing firm therefore in verse 14, having girded your loins with truth. And having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Um, Those elements of uh, are, are pictures of of the things that God has provided and I've came to the conclusion uh, that they're not all so many individual pieces, but they are actually the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord. I remember the story of David. Remember when he went out to the battlefield and the Philistines were mocking God and uh, David became incensed that they were mocking God. And um, he says to Saul, I'm going, I'm getting, I'm going out there. <laughs> right now, I'm going out there, I'm going out there. <laughs> they can't mock God. And, uh, and so Saul says, well, now you're going to get killed. Look at that guy out there in the middle. <laughs> I mean, look at him. And, and oh, you're going to go out there, okay. <laughs> and so Saul says, well, put the, put the armor on him. Kalunk. <laughs> Kalunk. 
<laughs> and David says, this is not going to work. And so he takes, what, all the armor, which I think is representative of the things of man. And what does he go out and meet Goliath with? What does he go out and meet Goliath with? Just a sling and a few stones. Just a sling. I'll tell you what, uh, you may be poor, you may not have a lot of resources, that type of thing, but if I tell you this, if you're in the Lord, even if you have a sling, a sling in the hands of God is dangerous. Was it dangerous to Goliath? You better believe it. Did he mock God? Did he mock David? Did he mock Israel? And I tell you with one stone put in the right place between his helmet, embedded in his head, and one stone killed him dead. The right instrument, the right stone in the right place is sometimes the way God works in terms of spiritual warfare. So do not take lightly your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And do not take lightly that He is the one that battles for you. There is a a passage over in Isaiah. And I'll see if I can can get to it. And... um, There's a picture in Isaiah 59. And this picture uh, is a picture of the Lord in the book of Isaiah. And at the end of verse 15, it says this, Now the Lord saw, and it was displeasing in His sight that there was no justice. Does it? What kind of day does that sound like? And He saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him. Who is that talking about? The Lord? Then his own arm brought salvation to him and his righteousness upheld him. I love this picture of Jesus. And he put on, and uh-oh, listen, what did Jesus do? And he put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. According to their deeds, so he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the coastlands he will make recompense. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun. Our Lord is the one being referred to in Ephesians 6 about the armor. Put on the armor of the Lord. Put on the Lord who is armored. He has already won the battle. He is the one that stands in all eternity. And uh, He is one to be feared. I like the story of Jonah chapter 1. Jonah runs from God. 
<laughs> and uh, as, as they say, you can run from God, but you can't hide. And Jonah's in the ship running away from God because of his, his call to go to Nineveh. What ends up happening, the storm comes. And uh, the fishermen get scared and they call him up. You know, who, who are you? Uh, what's going on? And what do you remember what he says to them? As he said, I, I'm a Hebrew and I'm one that fears God <laughs> and, and serves him and uh, the one who made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in it, so to speak. And, uh, and, and, and it says they became exceedingly afraid. Why? Were they afraid of Jonah? No, they were afraid of the God whom Jonah served. They knew of him and what he was like. And they said, well, what, what can we do to make the sea come? And Jonah says, you need to throw me into the sea if you want to have peace. My dear friends, my, my point being, uh, as Christians, remember that it is God in His armor who undertakes for you. And He calls you in Christ to, to undertake under His banner who fights and defends you in the spiritual battle of this day. It amazes me, dear friends, that we have so little sense of the power of God in our world today. But know that it is the Lord who walks with you if you walk with Him in spirit and in truth and you walk with Him in salvation. Remember that it is God who defends you. And it is His power that has already overcome the world I was looking at another picture of this picture of battle. By the way, there's another picture in Isaiah where Isaiah looks and he sees the Lord uh, coming up and the Lord has a sword and his garments are splattered with blood. And Isaiah, in fear and trembling, says, uh, Lord, where have you come from? And he says, I've come from Moab to wreak vengeance among my enemies. Sometimes we have this picture of God that we think that He's just somehow a grandfather that's sitting in a rocking chair somewhere on the cloud. What I would say to you in this spiritual warfare and in this spiritual battle of this day, that is in no wise the picture of our Lord in His glory and His power and righteousness at the present time. The One who undertakes for you as a believer, no matter how weak you are, you are His child. And I'll tell you this from Scripture of what I say. I wouldn't want to mess with the Lord's children. You may spiritually want to mess with God's children. But when you mess with His children, you mess with Him. And that's not a winning battle. There have been some battles that the Lord undertook. Remember, the first battle took place before time. Remember in the heavens? Who won that battle? Who won that battle? God won that battle, didn't He? And He saw to it. Well, there was a second battle that took place, and that was in the garden. Now, what happened in the garden? 
Satan tempted Eve. There was a fall of man. And Satan somewhat won that battle because Adam, Adam fell into sin. And we preach and teach about that from Scripture. And we have the story of Scripture about that. And yet, did God take care of that? Did God provide in that battle? Oh, yes, He did. And it's replete from Genesis. Right at Genesis, um, you know, there shall be a seed uh, born unto you, uh, Eve, and his, your seed shall uh, bruise his head, and he shall bruise his heel. Uh, talking about the coming of the Lord. Well, that was the third battle, and, and Satan actually thought he had won that third battle when he got Jesus on the cross, didn't he? Didn't he? Didn't he think he had won the battle if he could just get Jesus as the Son of God on the cross? If he could just kill him, if he could just kill him. But little did he know. He never, he never saw it coming. He is not omniscient. He didn't even see it coming. That the God of heaven and earth Raised his son from the dead. Through that death, there was victory for those who would trust in him and whom the Father gave him. He won that battle. And my dear friends, we still remain in the remnants of the spiritual battle, don't we, as the church? And by the way, and that's represented in the life of Peter, isn't it? Remember the battle of Peter? What, you remember the verses in John? Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. And I love what he says, even knowing God knows Satan didn't. And when you have been restored, <laughs> I love the knowledge of God, don't you? And Peter, by the way, when you're restored, shepherd your brethren. Feed the sheep. And our Lord has won the battle victoriously. And there's a picture that I continue to love of the way I look at the Lord now. It's in John chapter 1. And I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, by the way, which is the church. And in the middle of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet and girded across his breast with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. And his feet were burnished bronze when it has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Do not be afraid. Say to you, brethren, who fight the good fight, the word of the Lord says, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last 
and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. My dear friends, that is the one who has armored himself and thus so armored you if you have faith in him. May God give you a sense of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of His victory in your life. Do not, do not look at the world and tremble. Don't look at all the things that the world seems to be winning. I'll tell you, my dear friends, what the world is winning is not worth winning. I tell you, trust in the Lord in these days. The Lord of Revelation chapter 1. Not the Lord who died upon Calvary's cross. I'm not making light of that. That's essential. But He is not the Lord remaining on the cross. He is the Lord victorious. He is the Lord enthroned at the right hand of His Father even now, ruling over heaven and earth and His church. And He says to you, you are His children. If I were the world, I would not want to mess with His children. May God have mercy upon us that whatever we have to face, that our eyes will be fixed upon Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is not, you know Hebrews, don't you? He is not only the author of our faith, but what? He is the finisher of our faith no matter what. No matter how Lonnie gets there, the Lord chooses. He is the finisher of our faith. No, it is who fights for you these days. Be strong in Him and take up, take up the armor of the Lord which you've been given. And Jesus Christ bears that armor. And it may be even just the smallest thing in your life that God has to use. He will use it in power. It may be just a sling. And it may be just a little smooth stone. My dear friends, I'm amazed at what God can use. I mean, look. (laughs) I'm amazed at God's hand in our lives. Trust Him. Be strong. Be strong. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of His might. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, uh, we sometimes, Lord, have such a small picture of who You are. Sometimes, Lord, we may even believe that You're not undertaking because of the things we see. But, Father, as with the prophet of old, Elisha, And the servant boy was afraid of the Syrian army that had encamped outside of Dothan. Ben-Hadad had come. He was about to take Elisha. And Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes that he might see. And the Lord answered Elisha's prayer and opened the eyes of the servant. And he saw the angels 
and the host of God swirling around Elisha. There are more of us, Elisha said, than there are them. Lord, help us to rest in your power. Be our shield, our defender. Be our salvation and our hope forever. In Jesus' name I pray.